Um, as uh, Rob has said, um, this is the second of our series, our autumn series, called A New Season. And the good thing from a preaching point of view is that for this series, we get to choose our own topic. Uh, and the idea being that uh, for the next few weeks, Frank began last week, we get the chance to speak on a Bible story or a verse, some verses that mean something to us. And thinking about that, I could have preached on all sorts of topics, um, Bible passages which are inspiring to me, which have meant something to me. But this is a story, a simple story, which um, speaks about something which is, has been important to me throughout my Christian life, issues of faith and obedience and trust and things like that. And so I want to share this with you this morning, um, uh, this idea. Now today I want to talk, therefore, about a conversation that took place many years ago on a boat during a storm. But before I do that, I just want to tell you about a more recent conversation that also took place on a boat. Three or four years ago, my wife Jo and I uh, uh, were on holiday in Cornwall, <coughs> and we decided one day to take a double kayak out onto the water. Uh, we were at the mouth of a tidal river as it emerged into the sea, and the currents at that point were very strong. It was also quite a windy day as well, so there were some big waves about. Now, I thought it would be cool to paddle out a bit and then surf in on a wave. Joe wasn't quite so sure about this. But despite her reluctance and full of enthusiasm, I paddled out saying, don't worry, everything will be fine. And Joe was at the front of the boat screaming at me, no, it won't, turn back. Well, what should have been a thrilling ride turned into a disaster, inevitably. Despite my obvious maritime skills, we were hit broadside by an unexpected rogue wave which capsized the kayak and as I flew through the air and Joe disappeared beneath the waves, a part of the boat hit her full in the face. I heard the bang, I thought she might have been knocked unconscious, but my wife is made of tough stuff. And... Uh, she has a pretty hard head as well, I now know. Uh, with an enormous lump developing and blood streaming down her face, we made it to shore. What, of course, didn't survive was my reputation as an extreme sportsman. And, of course, I, I'm still in the doghouse with Joe to this day. It was my fault, obviously. Have you ever been caught off guard or surprised by something you didn't see coming? What do you do when you're in over your head? What do you do when you feel overwhelmed or when you feel like you've been knocked off your feet? Uh, that day on holiday, I wasn't ready for the wave. But sometimes the situations we're in don't always go the way we want. We get knocked off our feet or wiped out by a wave. Life isn't always easy. And sometimes the waves of life come crashing down upon us when we least expect them. 
The story we read together from Mark's Gospel is about such an event where Jesus and his disciples were crossing a body of water called the Sea of Galilee and somewhere on their journey across this very large lake a terrible storm came out of nowhere. And Mark tells us in chapter 4 a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, some of the disciples were fishermen, and they must have known how to navigate these waters, but even they were afraid. They were caught off guard and totally overwhelmed. They began to fear for their lives. The shore was a long way off, and the waves were crashing down on the boat, and the boat was filling faster than these disciples could bail. They were experienced enough to know that they were in over their heads. And where was Jesus? The story tells us that he was asleep on a pillow at the back of the boat. Now what's fascinating is the conversation that took place in this moment. As we look at the dialogue that took place between Jesus and his disciples... I want to look specifically at the questions that were asked. And if you were keeping count, there were actually four questions that were asked in this conversation. Two by the disciples and two by Jesus. And as we will see, that the questions the disciples asked might be the very same questions we've all asked before. Or maybe the same questions that we're asking right now. The questions that we as a church might have been asking over the past 12 months or so as we've been navigating our own pretty choppy waters. The first question from the disciples in this story is, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, this is a question of sheer desperation. That these men were losing hope and were losing it fast, and they were prompted to ask the question by the apparent indifference of, or lack of any sort of concern at all, on the part of Jesus. The disciples were in a panic in the middle of the night on the Sea of Galilee in a devastating storm, and they looked to their leader, the one who in fact had suggested they make this journey, who was at that moment sound asleep. Their first thoughts must have been, is he aware of the situation we're in? Does he not sense the danger? Does he not know what we're going through right now? That we might not survive this ordeal? In his book called Heart and Mind, Dr. Alexander Shire wrote this. His disciples simply presume that Jesus will perform a divine act and in every instance relieve them of their fear. And Mark's message for the Jewish audience for whom he was writing is that these disciples were still seeking a God who rescued them, who removed obstacles. They wanted to remain safe as children with a God who acted as an all-powerful protective parent. They could not yet fathom a God 
who not only did not do this, but who actually pushed his followers into dark nighttime storms. They did not yet have the spiritual maturity from which they could derive inner equilibrium and serenity in the midst of trial. They had not yet discovered an inner place of God. But the reality is that I can understand the disciples' frustration. Just pausing there. Steve, I wonder if we can have the conversation outside. Is that okay? But the reality is, of course, I can understand the disciples' frustration. You know the expression some people use, how can you sleep at night? It's a rhetorical question that some people ask, which means, don't you feel any responsibility at all or guilt for what you've done? Do you feel any remorse for this situation? Don't you care about this at all? I don't know about you, but for me, the demons always come at night. Things always seem much worse in the dark, don't they? When sleep is difficult. If you had an argument with someone, or you've let someone down, or you're waiting for important results, or you're worried about someone or something, Things always feel much worse in the dark. I mean, why, why is that? Because it's not easy to sleep, is it? It's not easy to sleep if you care. If you cared about this, you couldn't possibly sleep. And this first question asked by the disciples was a perfectly legitimate one to ask. It's a profound question. And maybe you've asked it before or you're asking it right now. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care about what's going on in my life? Don't you care about my health or my job or my marriage or my family or my church? We're afraid. We feel like we are drowning. Jesus, don't you care about any of this? When I've had challenges in my life, when my first marriage was falling apart, when Joe and I were facing tough decisions to do with work or family, I wondered, I wondered sometimes, is God in this? Or is he just asleep? Well, let's go back to the story. Jesus, in typical fashion, answered their question with his own question. He asks, Why are you so afraid? As I say, the first question that was asked was an obvious one. The disciples were in danger. They were in a storm and they were afraid of dying and they wanted to know why Jesus was asleep and why he appeared not to care about what was going on. So when Jesus answered by asking them what they were afraid of, they must have been incredulous. What do you mean, why are we afraid? Really? Let's think about it for a moment. Well, for starters, we're afraid of the storm. And we're afraid the boat might sink. And because they haven't been invented yet, we haven't got life jackets, so we're afraid we might drown. Oh, and by the way, we're afraid that you don't care. 
And at that moment, the story tells us that Jesus settled the storm. He simply said, quiet, be still. And in an instant, the winds that were sweeping down from the mountains were hushed and the sea became calm. Now Mark's account of this uh, records that when this happened, the disciples were no longer afraid. No, they were no longer afraid. Now they were terrified. But of what? What were they terrified of? Now the concept of fear in the Bible, of being fearful of God, is quite a tricky concept and doesn't translate very easily. Now, fear of God is not the same as being scared of God. The disciples that night were not scared of Jesus, but now they were in awe of him. It, it, it is a sense of reverential awe. It, it's a fear that allowed them, it allows us really to see our place in the order of creation. In many ways, it's a reminder of our smallness. And this fear was produced... Not by the storm. This fear was produced by the calm. You see, things that bring great awe and wonder can be deeply unsettling. It seems that they were terrified that Jesus had more power than the tempest. That Jesus had authority over the forces of nature. Having been afraid of the storm at first... They were now even more afraid of Jesus and his obvious and awesome power. I heard someone say once that faith and fear are sort of two sides of the same coin. And if that is true, then we can either have faith or fear in the powerful effect of the storms we're in, or we can have faith or fear in the one who can calm the storms we're going through. Which leads us to the third question. Jesus asked his disciples, do you still have no faith? Now it sounds a bit like a reprimand, doesn't it? But I don't think it was. In fact, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. In Luke's gospel, the same question is recorded like this, about this story. Where is your faith? And this translation helps us understand that they didn't lack faith, but they had placed their faith in something else or in somewhere else. Where is your faith? And this is a crucial question when you're facing storms. Where is your faith? What are you trusting in right now? Where have you placed your confidence? The answer to this question can make all the difference in how we personally navigate the storms of life, how we face uncertainty, and how we deal with our fears. Sometimes we can put our faith in people or in a person. But what happens if that person lets us down? Sometimes the storms we experience are caused precisely because we put our faith in someone else. And then they go and disappoint us. Our whole world falls apart. Our faith is shattered when the people we put our faith in let us down and the floor falls out from under us. Sometimes we put our faith in ourselves 
If I work hard enough, I can get through any storm or any challenge. I just have to hang in there and carry on. Well, you can do that sometimes or some of the time, but you can't survive every storm that way. In this passage, Jesus shows them who he is and what he can do. He reveals his power and nature them as an invitation to say, put your faith in me, not in the storm. I am the author and perfecter of your faith. And I want to be the object of your faith in every season of life, through every storm that you face, because I am the one who can lead you through them. I am the one who can calm any storm. He says, believe in me. Now just pausing there for a moment. Do you know what the word believe means? People say, don't they, we, they, they publish in the paper polls that uh, tell us that lots of people, still most people, believe in God. But what do they actually mean when they say that, I believe in God? Well, at least they say in some sort of, as it were, uh, intellectual way, they believe that there is uh, something they acknowledge that there is something or someone. But what does believe really mean? Well, the Greek and Latin roots of the word believe mean to give one's heart to. To give one's heart to. Believing isn't, you see, limited to giving one's mental assent to an idea. It suggests something much deeper than that. Something that asks for our whole selves. In our friendships and relationships with significant others, with our husbands or wives or partners, we don't believe in the other person, at least not in the same way we talk about believing in God. Instead, we are in a sort of dynamic, fluid relationship with that other person. We depend on one another. We lean on each other. We learn to give and take to make an effort to get to know other people, to spend time together out of sheer enjoyment. Believing doesn't mean giving allegiance to a set of doctrines or teachings. It means moving from a second-hand religion of following rules to a first-hand religion of relationship. From having heard about Jesus to being in a dynamic and fluid relationship with the Spirit of Christ. That's what it really means to believe. And that is fundamentally the lesson of this story. And then we get to the last of our four questions. In verse 41, Mark writes, They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, in ancient cultures, the widespread belief was that the sea was uncontrollable by any power but God. The oceans and the seas were symbols of unstoppable forces and destruction, absolutely untamable. Only God could control them. And Mark tells us that Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Jesus had command over the winds of the storm. This is one of those moments for the disciples 
where they realize or they begin to appreciate who he is. This event comes across, really, doesn't it, as a huge eye-opener for the disciples. They've known Jesus was special, and they've seen him do miraculous things. But his ability to command nature really takes everything to the next much higher level. His ability to command nature, prompting the disciples to remark, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, anyone can tell the wind and the waves what to do, but they actually listen to Jesus. If you keep on reading in Mark and go on to chapter 5, Jesus goes on to heal a demon-possessed man, and after that, he heals a sick woman and raises a dead girl back to life. Now, I think Mark quite deliberately puts these things, these three stories together, back to back, to show us who Jesus is, to show us his power over nature when he calms the storm, his authority over darkness as he heals the demon-possessed man, and ultimately his power over sick and death when he heals the woman and raises the young girl back to life. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the reliance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. That's quite a mouthful, but what it means, in other words, is that the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus sustains all of creation, the entire universe, with the sound of his voice. So when the disciples ask, who is this? That they are acknowledging that he is the one, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of the Almighty. Who is this? He's the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. He is the resurrection. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Traditionally, the boat in this story is thought to represent the church. Buffeted about by one challenge or another, but through good times and bad, consistently weathering the storm. And, of course, as we all know, Christchurch is and will be no different. Friends, as we go through seasons of uncertainty, and as we experience change and the unknown, this experience may feel unsettling, just like we're in a storm. You might be asking, God, where are you right now? Don't you care? How can you have let this happen? And the answer is that Jesus is here and he does care and he is and always will be in control. That Jesus demonstrated his power over the ultimate storm of life on the cross. He defeated sin, death and destruction and instead of running away from death and suffering, he entered into it on our behalf. In his love for us, he leaned into the storm on the cross and came out of the empty tomb on the other side. The lesson from this story we have looked at today in Mark cannot be, Jesus will calm every storm in your life. That is not the point of this story. If we have the expectation 
that faith protects us from tragedy, we'll always struggle with our faith. We'll have to reconcile why difficult and tragic things happen. But when our faith is intact, we will have peace. Our faith isn't built on a promise that nothing bad will happen to us. It's founded in a trust that God is at work, reconciling the world to himself. And no matter what happens, his plans will prevail. (coughs) That's the power of the gospel that leads us through every storm. (coughs) Walking by faith is living every day, believing Jesus is who he says he is. It's believing that everything he said is true. It's knowing and believing every day, each day, that you and I are loved by him, no matter who you are or what you've done, and believing that he does care for 